I'm Amy, sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and co-owner of purepleasureshop.com. And I'm April, sex toy maven, VP of Hot Octopus, and I've dedicated my life to the business of sex. We're two people with a passion for educating and inspiring shame-free conversations about sex and relationships. Welcome Welcome to to the the Shameless Sex Revolution. Revolution. Want to learn more? Go to shamelesssex.com. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSSEX at purepleasureshop.com. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Well, hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Shameless Sex Podcast. April currently has to pee, so this would be a really fun episode. <laughs> She's doing the pee dance over there. I so, am working on my kegels was, yeah. or my pelvic floor muscle muscular health. Are you doing the... Sort of, but if I do that, that's going to annoy everybody. All right, so, so I'm just that's, also the best it. thing is also to like not pay attention to the yeah, fact ex- that you have to pee. Exactly. Should that's I play I'm... some waterfalls? No, no? absolutely <laughs> not. That would be mean. Then you'll be cleaning up the. No, you won't. We're <laughs> not going to do that over here at Shameless Sex Headquarters. Okay, so this episode is on sex and porn addiction, but it is our round two. And as we, you will hear in the episode, we describe a little more about why we were doing this because we did an episode a month or two ago with Gigi Engel and no hating on Gigi. Ingle, great episode. It's just that we got some feedback from people that said they wanted a neuroscientist's perspective, like what's happening in the brain. And I think this episode really clarifies some of the missing pieces that people are asking for, as well as the answer, yes, sex and porn addiction can be real. Also, I think that it's great that we can give multiple perspectives or various perspectives because that is our journey with shameless sex. We don't give you a one stop shop. It's find and explore on your own realm, on your own way. Yeah. And what fits or suits your experience and um, yourselves. Yeah. And so we don't take episodes down. We just continue the conversation. So that's what we're doing here with our beloved Dr. Nan. She is the best. I always love her so much. She's so sweet. And I just wanted to make a quick comment because we didn't talk about this in this episode with Dr. Nan, but we did talk about this with Gigi Ingle and she was talking about how the 12 steps programs can be, they can increase shame for a lot of people. And we did receive emails from a couple of people who heard the episode and saying, thank you. We talked about this off air though by off, the way off air right. yes off air that's what we're talking about right now but we a couple of people said thank you for the episode with Gigi because they were feeling the shame that came with their particular 12 steps program so mm-hmm. I just want to clarify here and this is what Dr. Nan said off air it was that she actually thinks 12 steps programs can be fabulous for creating community and not all 12 steps programs are you know all or nothing meaning like you're the full-blown addict or not and also they don't all shame people like a lot of a lot of 12 steps programs can do really fabulous things they come in different shapes and sizes and variations some are for only women for only men for queer folks etc and so we just wanted to even though we're not talking about it in this episode and maybe we'll have a future one that talks about that but we also wanted to say say not all 12 steps programs are increasing shame in the world and in fact are doing really great things and just Fun note, the 13th step was to take LSD. It's just never actually Wait, happened. Wait, what, what? So the 12 steps program. <laughs> I, I don't understand. The, 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 so I think his name is Bill. Bill, some guy named Bill who was oh, like creating 12 sense. steps program. He... <laughs> 
He wanted that there to be a 13th step and it was to take LSD. Does he talk about how much? Because I've taken no, some LSD and gone real dark. My so my I understanding would say a micro, not a macro. I think it's also like in more therapeutic settings. Okay. But I think it got retracted because it was during the time when like the Nixon era was like anti uh, the anti the anti drug movement and anti drug with Reagan, then it was all the drug. Uh, so it's just funny dr- that we're on drugs. Like twelve steps was going to have psychedelics as part of it, but that's not what this episode it is makes about. Sense. <laughs> because it can be a healing medicine if uh-huh. you use it in the, I want to say in the right way. But for me, anything could be um, medicine yeah. when it's used in a way that feel right. that benefit. Like we talked in this episode, is it helping your life or is it harming your life? Right. Are you expanding or escaping exactly. from utilizing the things that you consider sometimes, or your partner could consider an addiction yeah. or a compulsion? Yeah. So stay tuned. I know, and Valentine's Day is tomorrow. So here's a lovely episode for Valentine's we, Day. We kind of went uh, a little bit off. Uh, we, I went off kilter. Yeah, well, um, and that's okay. But it felt important to re not re-release because it's a new episode. Release this episode sooner than later because a lot of people were commenting on it, not just in emails, also in our social media. So we wanted. That's what we do. At Shameless well, sex. We if you listen, any, if you move forward, yes. And if you're wanting some uh, sex toys or some recommendations. Just go to purepleasureshop.com and you can check out Shameless Sex Faves, not Fabs, even though <laughs> I, I, I mess with Amy's. I mess with Amy's brain on it, but uh, we do have sex toy recommendations that you can always access and yeah, have fun. You can get fifteen percent off anytime with coupon code Shameless. Hey, and speaking of Shameless Sex, we are going to be in Tulum, everyone, on a Woo-hoo. retreat. This is for vulva owners out there or people that identify as women, and there are still some spots left. We've been only promoting it a few times, and it's it is filling up. So it's April. 24th through the 29th. We have a beautiful villa, a private chef. We'll do an excursion together. We have workshops, other sex experts that we're bringing in. And it's something that we're cultivating a couple of times a year moving forward. So this is our second one. The reviews from the Costa Rica retreat last Mm -hmm. November in 2023 were incredible. So go to shamelesssex.com, click on the retreat section. You will be guided to our We Travel um, site and you can even do payment plans if the amount that we, we actually are very generous with the amount that we charge because we want to, we want to be with our, our, favorite listeners and community community and some of the things that past participants have said include best vacation ever or this retreat changed my life and so if you're wanting to enter into that realm this retreat is for you like april said shamesex.com also we have one scholarship spot available so mm-hmm. this is a heavily discounted spot for someone who is in some sort of financial hardship go to our we travel well go to our, our website and we'll take you to we travel and you can uh, apply for that scholarship spot. and then yeah we'll send you a google it's like a google form yeah and we do take great care and everyone that does sign up you become our family for our retreats we do and we we look and out friends. for you and yeah it's ongoing so speaking of which just our fans our listeners the people that really support us thank you we had started an amazon wish list years ago but we never talked about it and then as amy and i have been moving into our is it our how many years is it oh my god, oh my god we're at like seven years we're at seven years and we're currently using one of the new Not recording boxes yes. that someone yes. got for us yes uh, which i think was john maybe but so we've received some gear because we're like 
like, we need to expand. We want, we have to move with the the times, right? Technology is constantly changing. And we don't really ask for much from our listeners. Like there's other folks that have Patreon sites or yeah, they charge people for episodes or they do different things. And we don't do any of that. And we don't sell our underwear. We don't sell not pictures of our feet. Not yet. We don't, re- and I'm not shaming Soon. any of those things. We have, <laughs> yeah, we haven't done any of those things. I don't know. I mean, we'll see if we actually do, but. I just think that would be fun. I'm just maybe, thinking that's yeah. what it sounds like a good time. I'm not even trying to do it for the money. It just sounds we, like a great time. Yeah, it's, it, we just don't. I feel like we're really, we're really wholesome podcasts. We're so wholesome. Here. So we have this Amazon wish list that we yes. created because we want some new equipment that honestly. A couple things for photo shoots. Yeah. Too. And advertising has been hard. It's the economy's hard. So advertisers, they are nervous to invest in a sex podcast a lot of times. Oh. And we love all of our sponsors. But the Amazon and we can choose list, them. We are very picky. We are very picky. And so we created this wish list. We don't have that much even on it, but we've been getting beautiful gifts, gifts like sent to our studio. So we want to give a, yes. a big thank you yes. to Shannon for thank your you. recent gift. Thank you so much. We're gonna, just going to use your first name. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and then also, there was a mystery person. Yeah. Mystery person. No I don't know. Attached. This may have been a mistake from Amazon, meaning like this person sent it, but they either didn't want their name in it or Amazon forgot to tell us who you are. But thank you, mystery person who sent us a new set of headphones yeah. that we will use for our guests when they are box. coming in our, we, yeah. Yeah. Coming in our show, on and our show. There is lighting that we we want yeah. but we really do appreciate it and honestly if y'all don't send it that's okay I yeah. know that times can be tough so yeah. but we appreciate you and we'll keep doing what we're doing and it is all for you all it's not for us it's for you so thank you for those gifts beautiful humans thank you okay ready for the sex question I am okay. I just looked at the okay yes okay I have cerebral I think this right. cerebral palsy paired with very limited dexterity and use wheelchair I also only have had a handful of sexual encounters. I often like to use masturbation to make up for the lack of partnered sex, but I recently lost the ability to masturbate and I'm having trouble coming to terms with it. Do you have any suggestions of how to deal with this loss of freedom or how I can regain my sexual independence? So I I wanted to feature this question right now, not to be like, oh, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. But also this is very real life, like our bodies change life changes and people have certain disabilities, diseases, conditions, et cetera, that can change. Like you can be very used to sex happening in a certain way or aging too, right? Like sex happens in a way and then it's different. And so I wanted to highlight this question. And I think that what came to my mind for me when I was reading this question is our brains, as we say in our book and all sex educators say, are our largest sex organ, right? It's not our genitals. And there are people like, I think you all did these studies at Hot Octopus, right? People with spinal cord injuries who used to be able to have orgasms from genital stimulation and all of a sudden have learned how, or maybe it's not, no. We didn't do the studies. Okay. There was uh, medical researchers, Miami University was one of them in the 90s and then in the early 2000s that were studying oscillation on penile erection and and orgasm uh-huh. for terms of clinical use so they could people that wanted to have children that had uh, spinal cord injuries due to various accidents or um, situations uh, they still wanted to have children so we didn't do the studies but we uh, licensed the technology from okay. the medical device company that created the device to help these folks have children which was called the Ferticare. So they couldn't have orgasms and ejaculation the way they used to. Right. But from now, touch or vi- even vibration only from yes. So exactly. now using the hot octopus pulse products they were able to learn how to have orgasms 
and ejaculation in a new way, which I think is a great example. Or also people who can't feel from the waist down all of a sudden have learned how to have orgasms from something in their ear, like a tongue in their ear, from touching the the pit of their arm. Uh, People can have energy orgasms, think themselves into orgasms, breathe themselves into orgasms. We've done podcasts on that. And so I want to just say this, this is a really hard situation that this person is in when you have you know, used masturbation as a way to make up for the lack of partner sex. And now that's even off the table. And I think that there are, though, a lot of tools that involve the power of your mind and the parts of your body that are working in the way that can create pleasure for you. Like we can learn how to eroticize other parts of our body or create eroticism in our minds that don't involve using our hands which is, is what I'm assuming the dexterity pieces is, is the hands are off the table. Right. I will say hot octopus because we have been an inclusive company since the birth of the pulse because of the science that was behind the technology of the pulse plate technology. We've really made our message to be around helping folks with disabilities as well to folks that don't uh, recognize mobility issues right now in their lives or don't have dexterity issues or don't uh, identify as having a disability, we still honor folks that do. And we make this product called the Digit, which there are even blogs from folks that have various disabilities that hasn't allowed them to have um, great mobility, even if you're talking about arthritis, even about uh, that can wear the Digit, for instance, mm-hmm. and it can you, clasp you onto wear it on their your fingers. fingers. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can sort of, it won't fall off the fingers, especially if they're average or above average size, uh, if they're really slender then it may be a thing, but it can clamp on and you can sort of put it on various erogenous zones on your own body or a partner's body. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, same with the pulse solo and duo. Those are things that you could use. And this wasn't even uh, geared towards bringing up this, but I do know that we've worked so hard that I have to bring it up. And if you, if you go to our website, you can look at all the sex and disability bloggers that have contributed to their experience with using some of our products. Mm -hmm. So uh, Kelly Gordon, who's in our book, she was born with a disability that's left her. uh, It's a muscular disability. And she is she's in a wheelchair as well. right? Yeah, Yeah. she's been in a wheelchair uh, since pretty much she was a young child. Mm -hmm. And And she's uh, like kids and has a lot of hot sex. Right. She has a lot of hot sex, but she also has a lot of she's the creative director. So she helps us now making sure our products are geared for disabled folks. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can't hit every every single Everyone's person. Everyone's different, though, right? right? But we, but I think that the dis- sex and disability market is growing, thankfully, because we're honestly now and not talking about not just hot octopus, but a lot of sex toy companies and manufacturers and sex educators are talking about the importance of uh, sex and disability. Mm-hmm. We can't think that people aren't having sex or wanting to masturbate or feeling like they need pleasure just, just because they, they have a disability. A disability. Yeah. So I yeah. think this is a really important question. And even if right now you're listening, and you don't identify with this question. It's an important thing because things can change in life. Even and, if it's not disability, right? Like aging yeah. and things change. So yes. in, in that case, it's finding new ways to play like, okay, well, here's is I'm really fucking pissed and frustrated. 
And so go through that process. And also here's what's where I'm at now and what's available now. And there's so many sex toys and sex products. Uh, we talked about the brain and also like energy orgasms. If you want to learn more about that, go look up Barbara Corellis's work. She's her and Annie Sprinkle pioneered the yeah. energetic sex movement also to deal with the AIDS and HIV crisis in the yes. 80s. And we also write about we have a section in our book yeah. um, with Dr. I think it's Philip Lee. I oh think my it God. is Philip Lee. We're um, forgetting your name. I'm so sorry. No, it's not. He's it's, awesome. It, it is. I but he, think he, he, he especially Lee. is more like chronic illness, but it yes. still is. My life has changed or my partner's life has changed because of this, this thing that makes sex hard, it's just painful a, and comfortable. Yes. And this, these are all, these, these are all important topics and it doesn't yeah. make anyone less of a sexual being no. because they're going through these limiting things that mm-hmm. happen with their bodies. It doesn't mean that you ha- you can't have any more sexual encounters or that you have to lose your sexual independence. It just means you have to figure out new ways yeah. to find regain. That's regaining your sexual yes, independence exactly. and recreating. And the last thing I wanted to say about it, maybe something else too, but it was just, if your hands aren't working on your body, I think of like young people, the way they masturbate often is like kids running up and down the poles on the playground or April Hunter teddy bear or um, people would like take their legs and kind of like grind their legs together and get get into like an orgasmic state through that, like young people. And so maybe just the way that you self-pleasure with your hands is off the table, but with the use of sex toys or other movements of your body or your body grinding or something grinding on you might be able to provide that. I don't know what your body is capable of or available for, but there are other ways to to do what once worked. It's just in a different way. And Andrew Gerza, he is an award-winning disability awareness consultant. And he also, he has created a sex toy line as well. I think it's called like Bumpin' or something like this. He has a website. I think you can go to andrewgerza.com. He's been on our show years ago. He's a great human that really dives into the sex and disability realm and I think creating awareness, um, which it needs. So even if you don't feel like this is affecting you, thank you for this person that wrote this question and let's be mindful and honor all of the folks out there that want to be sexual beings or have been sexual beings and lost it because of various things or it's just, or just want to support yeah. and be an ally. Yeah. The journey of life. Yeah. Um, and let's help people find more pleasure. Yeah. All right. You ready for Dr. Nan? How, speaking of people Bio. helping people find more pleasure, oh, Dr. Geez, Nan. Love her so much. We always end up having way longer conversations we need like three before, hour sessions <laughs> and then after the show uh because she's just fantastic and she's, she's also writing a new book that we won't talk about here uh, but i'm really excited for it because it's just in the works yeah. i'm so excited so dr nan wise phd is a cognitive neuroscientist professor licensed psychotherapist certified sex therapist board certified clinical hypnotherapist and certified relationship specialist. Damn. I know. (laughs) She is the author of the book, Why Good Sex Matters, and has contributed her expert opinion to outlets such as National Geographic, The Atlantic, Time, Glamour, Women's Health Magazine, The Washington Post, HuffPost, Romper, and Bustle. To learn more, visit AskDrNan.com. All right, everyone, it is interview time, and we are here with repeat guests and beloved friend, and we call her our resident sex therapist, but she's also a neuroscientist. This is Dr. Nan Weiss, OMG. She's one of our mini spirit animals. Uh, and so we 
as as if you're a regular listener, we did an episode, and, and we're not shit talking this person, but we did an episode with Gigi Engel, and we received a lot of feedback around this. It was about sex and porn addiction. We received emails that said, "Thank you so much for that episode. It felt very freeing. Really spoke to my experience and the shame that I've, I've experienced around that." And we also received a lot of emails from people saying, "Huh, interesting, because sex and porn addiction is very real for me, or for someone I know, or for a lot of people I know." Um, and they felt that there was some of the the language that was limiting and the requests. So what we do at Shameless Sex, we don't. What we don't do, we don't take down episodes. If they're controversial, we we have there's plenty of episodes, y'all, that we would like to take down. This actually isn't one of them for us. We didn't want not want to take this down. No, but there are episodes where like, oh, we want to take this one down. There's a couple. Yeah, one, a like couple. one of them's personal. For uh, me. Yeah, one of, one is personal for me too. Um, <laughs> but we don't take them down. What we do is we address them later with other educators, doctors, and uh, in this case, someone had said, or a couple of people said, can you bring in someone who is a neurologist or a neuroscientist? You know, someone that understands the brain isn't just a therapist, and so. Nan is, we're like, Nan's perfect. She's all these things. You know, she is a, a neuroscientist and an amazing sex therapist. And so we are here to revisit sex and porn addiction. So sex and porn addiction round two with neuroscientist Dr. Nan Weiss. So Dr. Nan, even though you've been on her show, God, I don't even know. Five times, it's six times? Might be, she might, yeah, I, yeah. You're like one of our top she's like, uh, I don't guests. Know. So, and in her book, she's in her book so yes. much because of the amazing episodes we've had with you. So. Yeah, she's, she has taught us so, so much. So, Nan, even though you've been on our show many times, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got to where you are today in the field of sexuality, but especially as a neuroscientist? I've always been really fascinated by the brain. And I always was fascinated about how we can work the brain better. I come from a long line of anxious people. And so one of my big challenges was navigating my own anxiety. So it was my personal and professional journey. So as I started to be able to extend my trainings and learn more about, you know, what happens in the brain when people have all sorts of moods, then I went back to do a PhD and I studied sex in the brain, orgasm in the brain, pleasure in the brain. So for me, it's a passion of really. My book, Why Good Sex Matters, is really more about understanding how the brain-mind works. And I think this topic is so wonderful. And I can completely understand how Gigi was not a big fan of the diagnosis of sex addiction. And the reason why is it, first of all, it's not been well studied. And because sex is such a charged area. What happens is people put all sorts of opinions and their own discomfort around sexuality to start to pathologize other people's sexuality. So, you know, it's really important to understand that we need to understand what addiction is and get clear on what that means to the brain, mind, and then understand how for some people, sexually compulsive behaviors become very problematic. So it's a both end universe. We we have to be very careful about just sort of uh, diagnosing people based on our discomfort. Now, if you think about it, it was up until 1974 that they considered homosexuality a mental illness. Mm -hmm. 
And there are people most of the time what they have judged, and I'm talking about even people in my field of psychology, anything that was not your vanilla sexuality as pathological. So for a very long time, and and it continues to this day, people who are practitioners of, for example, BDSM, there was that underlying belief on the part of mental health professionals that reflected some kind of childhood sexual trauma or some emotional uh, problems. And it's only been relatively recently that people have actually studied, for example, Peggy Kleinplatz and Charles Mosier actually studied people who had BDSM. They did a, a study and they found that they had no more mental issues than the average population of vanilla people. Mm-hmm. So sex, as you both are well aware of, is a very triggering conversation for a lot of people. So based on the fact that we judge people's sexuality, if it makes us uncomfortable, if it's not what we consider normal. So in ASECT, the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, they used to have a t-shirt. Am I normal? Because that's the people, people are always worried about that. That's like the number one question. In our, and that was how we it's started our book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we need to do is some really good research on things like what they call sexual compulsive behaviors. So let me just back it up and talk about addiction in general. So I think it might help your listeners to understand that there are different ways to look at addiction that may help people be clearer on when something becomes a problem. Like if you think of addiction as a disease, it's not very helpful. If you think about addiction as learning gone bad, the concept I'd like to focus on for you and and the listeners is to think about how the brain mind functions. And we have probably talked about, or you've talked about, or or thought about the reward Mm -hmm. processes, the reward system in the brain. One of the things that we need to understand is the reward system is really more of a learning system. Hmm. So when those systems work well, when the reward circuitry works well, we have good satisfaction from our everyday pleasures. We're able to experience pleasure. We're able to regulate our moods. So when that circuitry works well, people have a tendency to not overdo things to the point where they're compulsive. So people can socially drink, they can have sex, they can do all sorts of stuff without it becoming problematic. Where things cross over the line, whether we're talking about substance abuse, whether we're talking about compulsive sexual behaviors, is when the person's learning reward circuitry is not working well to begin with. What happens is they use the substances or the behaviors to regulate when they're having negative moods or when they're feeling stressed. So essentially, they are self-medicating for a reward circuitry system that isn't working so well, and they're learning connections that bring them down a bad path. So they learn to turn to the substance or the behavior to self-soothe, to self-regulate, rather than being able to 
you know, have a healthy relationship with their hedonistic practices, food, sex, you know, all of that. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. it does. And that was kind of the first question, which thank you, because you you tapped in and I wanted to break this open right away by asking, you know, how you define this sex addiction. And from what I'm hearing, it's porn or sex addiction, let's say, that it is something that it's it's a neuropathway that your brain links to maybe some sort of freedom or uh, happy vibes or what do you Coping mechanism. Dopa- yeah. Dopamine release. And, <laughs> and so that's where it comes into play. So I and I don't want to reiterate what you said in, in a in a way that I'm bastardizing it because it was way more scientific mm-hmm. and beautiful. But what I want to get at is in your opinion, right, which I feel like I already know. But for our listeners, in your opinion, is porn and sex addiction real for some people? Absolutely. The majority of people, I think, can use porn, have sex without it becoming problematic behavior. So, you know, I want to back it up for a second and talk about dopamine. In my book, I write about the seeking system. And the seeking system is basically all of that circuitry that is the reward circuitry. It kind of gets our attention. And when you think about it, and the point, reason why I wrote my book is that that seeking system has been hijacked by how we use our attention. So when we spend all our time on our devices and when we are not interacting in the world in ways that allow those learning signals. Dopamine is a learning signal. So it should fire when we are kind of moving towards something that feels good and and feel and is good for us. That would be the ideal thing to get pay attention to this. This is good for you. This is and move away from to motivate us to move away from pain. So that whole system has gotten so hijacked for young people that number one, they have incredible levels of now anxiety disorders are the number one thing. It used to be depression, suicidality. And would you believe that the population that seems to be having the most problems with sexually compulsive behavior are university students? And that's not very surprising. When you think about these digital natives or really haven't had kind of the good development of their frontal regions as it would happen ordinarily if you were just doing regular social interactions and getting feedback in the world rather than being stuck on a device and not really using the brain mind in the way that it would work better. Mm-hmm. Like gaming, too. If you think about gaming, social all media, that, I mean, even that. online shopping, all of those things. Right. That's like instant. Too. It's very isolated. Yeah. In right. that, I mean, you think of like when we hear about people in like the prison system and they go into solitary confinement. Am I saying that right? And like the, I think the stats for dementia are like highly increased if you're someone that has to live in that kind of experience. Like we are designed to be social creatures and exercising right. our brains regularly, learning new things, reading new things like using right. doing these yeah. kind of pushing our edges in ways like this is unfamiliar but still safe and then I'm like I'm, I'm practicing using my brain but people argue though social media is social or gaming can be social because you're interacting different kind of social but it's a different kind of <laughs> right it's yeah. different it's kind social of social with a lot of ease though the, right the the hijacking attention these devices and the way they write all these programs and everything is designed to hijack attention in a way that is deleterious. And 
is short-circuiting the ability for young people to learn. I sound like an old fart, which is okay as a five-time grandmother, but... Oh, you're a badass. Yeah, you can say whatever the fuck you want. I'm not a grandmother. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's like they're not getting the social connections that teach them when you think about it. Competition and cooperation. That's why a lot of kids are not being able to get laid. Even a lab rat needs certain social skills in order to get laid. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, they're getting <laughs> high That's not true. I'm sorry. That is that. I didn't even know that. <laughs> you know, no, yeah, everyone wants to bang you. You need a little social skills. But the bottom line is we are <laughs> not connected. Like you said, both of you, about the social connection, the real time face-to-face, flesh-to-flesh stuff that is satisfying and helps the 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 actual development of the brain mm-hmm. all through childhood into actually the brain's not fully cooked into your mid-20s. Yeah. These frontal connections that regulate your emotional centers are not fully developed until mid-20s. Time for a quick break so we can tell you about our carefully chosen sponsors. Please stay tuned and buy their products because we only tell you about what we love and what we truly believe in, and it helps keep this podcast free to you. Hey, podcast fam. April and I wanted to take a moment to tell you all about something that has changed our lives and the lives of our friends, maybe our family. I don't know. I know what you're going to say. What is it? It's Dipsy. Yeah, Dipsy stories. Okay, so y'all, you know those moments when you're like... I really wish I was turned on right now. Or I'm kind of turned on, but I want to be more turned on. Or I'm turned on and I don't want to watch porn. Yeah, exactly. And we have our ears that can open up to all the delicious things. And that is where Dipsy comes in. So Dipsy is an app. It's full of hundreds and hundreds of short, sexy audio stories. It has everything from romance to kink to threesomes. And they even have fantasy stories that involve werewolves now. Oh, vampires. Uh Oh, yeah. Yeah, some all kinds of sexy things. Oh, fairy smut? Ooh, come oh. on. I mean, you had me at, love some fairy You had me smut. at smut and fairy. <laughs> uh, also, they have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories and more. So it's kind of like your one-stop shop for an app. It has all the things that you need and will turn you on anywhere, anytime. You got to check it out. We've loved them for years. Plus, new content is added every single week. So you'll never get bored. And if you're like me, you don't want to be bored. Nope. So there's always something new you can explore. And right now, for Shameless Sex listeners, that's you, y'all. Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash shameless. That's 30 days of full access for absolutely free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash shameless. Dipsystories.com slash shameless. Get your fairy smut, Amy. Yeah. What's up, shameless sex fam? Is your sex life important to you? Hmm. What about your relationships? And also, let me ask you this. Who can relate to this story? Things were once so good in the bedroom with my partner, and now it's a mess, and I don't know what to do. Where's or, my happily ever after, yeah, where's Amy? My ha- yeah, yeah, what about me? Or how about so many aspects of my life are fantastic, but when it comes to sex and relationships, I feel so Lost. Yep. Been there. Uh, Me too. Mm -hmm. And this is why you all need Shameless Sex, the the book. book. We give you simple, simple solutions and a framework that you can use. You can customize it to you. Yes, you gives you the tools, 
the right tools for your sex and relationship so you get what you desire. And it's fun. It's playful. Right, Amy? We're always playful. It's kind of sexy. And did I mention how easy we make it for you? You have to check out Shameless Sex. Plus, the testimonials, they're coming in from everywhere. And this book has helped people just like you recreate and create the sex life of their dreams. So you can do it, too. Go to, where are they going, Amy? Shamelesssex.com. Oh, how easy is that? Just go to shamelesssex.com and click on the book, okay? And you can get it however you choose. You, you want, want hardcover, yeah. audio. Hardcover? We got you hardly yeah. covered. <laughs> so I just want to say a couple. So April recently is became, she's a certified sex educator, everyone. And 2024 is Sex of the Year. Woohoo! And um, I did my sex education certification training through Spissy in 2008. I remember being in that training and it seemed like there were two schools of thought and they were very divided. It was very like one or the other. There was this major like binary experience with the idea about sex addiction. And it was one, it's not a real thing. And the other one is it is very much a real thing. And I really like what you're saying. You're bringing that. Yes, for a lot of people, it can be and is. And that's not the case for everyone. And what we were talking about before is also like, just like we do with orientation and gender, like I don't get to tell you what your orientation and your gender is. You decide for you, right? Like, just like I don't get to tell you, oh, you know, you have an addiction or you don't have an addiction or addiction is not real for you or it is real for you. And so I think that it's really that's why we wanted to talk about this is to open up the conversation beyond what we have been hearing both on our podcast and outside our podcast and in our trainings. So the terminology that I'm going to be using here might say addiction or just compulsivity, but I'm saying that in an umbrella way where it could be one or the other for whomever you are. So let's talk about, I just, I'm really curious about some of the reasons why someone might start to consume porn or sex sex compulsively. You know, like what are some of the things you've seen in your clients that's bringing them into this place of compulsivity? And then also what's happening in the brain chemically, hormonally, emotionally to make it something that they're, it's really hard for them to move away from. I guess you kind of already discussed that a little bit, but maybe if you could share a little more. Yeah, that's a great question. So some people are predisposed to this learning gone bad. Now, even with social media use and online shopping, a lot of people can do that in a way that works, that isn't compulsive. They can enjoy I love shopping online. Me too now. (laughs) I'm not hijacked. I'm not spending money I don't have. I don't spend hours. It's something I enjoy, you know, within limits. And most people appear to be able to regulate well enough where they are not completely hijacked, whether it's by social media, though most people who use a little bit more than average social media do report bad moods and do report depression. So, you know, less is more with a lot of these things. Now let's talk about what predisposes people to these sort of obsessive, kind of compulsive, self soothing, medicating, kind of self-regulating behaviors. Number one would be having problems with those learning reward circuitries. And that can be, to some extent, genetic. There's predispositions based on what kind of how many receptors and how much of the neurotransmitters you make and how well they get recycled and all of that. So there are, we do understand that there are certain genetic predispositions that make people more vulnerable to, for example, childhood traumas. 
So if you have those predispositions, plus you have a bumpy childhood, which is going to be my next book, as, as I was telling you before we started recording, you're likely going to have some sort of manifestation, whether it's anxiety, depression, obsessiveness, anhedonia, which I'm going to focus a lot on today. Anhedonia is the inability to experience satisfying pleasures. They That's very much associated with how those reward circuits work. And that's and not just sexual, Nan, that's like any that's kind of pleasure? Pleasure, period. There are okay. people who, for whom they just have a very flat seeking system. They don't have the enthusiasm, the exuberance, the lust for life. They're flat. They feel depressed. I think and I've had Christmas know. with those folks and like they open presents and it's like there's no like excitement. I'm always like, yeah. yes. Yeah. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm, but I'm like, right. There's like, there's oh, like yes. something that is not experiencing life in a way that is vibrant. Like, like, the, like the kind of the ups, the high highs and the, of uh, the ups and the, the lows of the downs or like there's the, so with the addiction world, my understanding is you have people that are it really, they want to, they, to do something compulsively to the point. So just so they can feel something. Like chasing the dragon. Or some people are wanting to cons- compulsively consume something so they don't have to feel anymore because the feelings are too intense. So you're talking about the former, not the latter. People who are flat and mm. they just don't get pleasure. And sometimes what they'll turn to is overeating, over drinking, over sexing, anything like you said, April, trying to feel. And very often people that have these sexually compulsive behaviors actually are not very, they don't get a lot of pleasure. They don't get a lot of satisfaction. That's one of the criterion for the diagnosis. I can go over the diagnosis if you want. When we get to the part where we want to talk with your readers, how do you decide? How do you begin to sort of evaluate for yourself or for your partner? If these things are becoming problematic, I think it would be very helpful for us to go over the criteria. Yes. Yeah, was, our next question was no. going to be about that, but how how does someone know for themselves? You know, I'm my compulsion is turning into addiction, or I, or I have some sort or of my partner, behavior, or my well, partner. Right? We're going to start with the self, and okay. then the okay. part about the partner. Piece you always, of- I think, that's a good place to start for yourself. So I'm just going to pull up the diagnostic criteria so we can go over them. Is this from the DSM? Uh, yes. Is this, this the DSM? Is from, I, this is actually from the ICD, the International Classification of the Diseases, ICD. So here we go. All right. So in general, okay, what it is, is people are their persistent pattern of failure to control these intense urges. So they're having these urges and uh, impulses resulting in these repetitive sexual behaviors. And it has to be then including one or more of the following that I'm going to explain. So number one, the sexual activities hijack their attention and become the central focus of their lives to the point of neglecting their health, neglecting their personal care, interest, activities, and responsibilities. So another criteria is if the person has made numerous unsuccessful attempts to control the sexual behaviors. And another criteria is, do they continue to engage in the behaviors in spite of adverse events? So relationship ruptures, occupational consequences, a negative impact on health. It could be something like, you know, repeating with sexual diseases and all that. 
And one of the other criteria is the person experiences little or perhaps no actual pleasure or satisfaction. And this has to continue for six months in order to fit that that actual uh, diagnosis. And the other thing is before you can make that diagnosis of the compulsive sexual behavior disorder, compulsive sexual behavior disorder, there's no real diagnosis of sexual addiction. You have to rule out that the person's issues don't have to do with their moral judgments, disapproval about sexual impulses or urges. That them having their judgments about it is not enough. Hmm. It's got to actually create a problem in their lives. And I would also add, you need to rule out the person who is making that judgment, their own biases. Hmm. So we can be biased. We could be, oh, there's no such thing as sex addiction and look at somebody. Or we could be biased and say, oh, that is sex addiction based on our religiosity, our morality, our, you know, our sexual histories, all of that. Is that making sense? Yes. I'm wondering. So if someone is out there listening, let's say there's a therapist listening, right? Whether they're a sex Mm -hmm. therapist. And I know the DSM classifies sex addiction kind of in kind of a wider umbrella. And sometimes people get wrongfully, let's say, diagnosed. And I like the the text that you had brought up and it's called the ISD. ICD, International Classification of Diseases. Okay. So, so I'm actually, I'm really not, when I did the research, they didn't talk about DSM at all. Okay. They were yeah. all talking yeah. about ICD. And I did a kind of deep dive before the show to look at both sides of the argument. And the bottom line, ladies, is they're, they've done such bad research on this. The methodology of the research has been so crappy that it's really hard to make any big statements about it one way or the other. And you don't, and you definitely don't have to, but I think what I was kind of getting at is that if some folks out there, which I think we've brought into light so far with the show, but if someone's out there and let's say they're seeking therapy because they feel like they are addicted to porn, it's hitting some of those points, right, that you had just brought up. And then they go to their therapist and their therapist says, look, sex addiction isn't real. So, but but I think there's a way for them to feel like they are honored because if you feel like it is this compulsion that you can't control or that is getting in the way of your everyday life, your health, you're taking care of your children, your job. So I think there is an honor system there to be like, yeah, that might be something you have to look at. This compulsion is taking over your life. And on the flip side, if you're a therapist that is treating someone and is like, oh, you're addicted to sex when the person's just coming in, because they are like to bang a different person every night. Right. Or or they're they love porn so much that they love to watch it all the time. But that, that person's like, but I like this. But, I'm fine. Right. Yeah. And they're like, well, then so maybe there there's I just wanted to bring that to light because there's two very different perspectives here. And I think that it's important to honor both of them, but also the judgment piece, like reflecting your own judgments if you're treating someone or reflecting yeah. your own judgments if you're judging someone that you feel is like addicted to porn, I think is really important to bring up or highlight. I think I think it's a both end universe. Mm-hmm. There are certainly I understand why people are very against the diagnosis that's been routinely made about anybody who does anything other than, you know, vanilla sex and the morally 
a prescribed way. The sex scripts that we have for North America, how that's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about that. And one of the best judges of somebody's experience is them. If they're mm-hmm. coming to you. Now, if somebody comes to me and thinks that their sexual behavior is a problem, I'm going to listen very deeply. And I'm going to be able to hear. Like you've re- I think one of the problems with us in general across the board is we are not really listening deeply. Everybody mm-hmm. has got this like fast, whether it's dealing with trans stuff, if a kid has a gender issue, like immediately they're jumping to the inclusion, they go in one way. You know what I'm saying? We have to listen more deeply into something and take some time to listen in and to feel our way into a person's experience. And sometimes the person is a couple who are having very different experiences. I can't tell you how many times I've had in the, I, a woman call me and tell me my, my husband has a sex addiction. And based on they think that their husband is watching too much porn. So it's their assessment of the partner. And sometimes their definition of too much porn is any porn. So, you know, uh, yeah. people will pathologize that. Mm-hmm. And it's also happened with me because I'm pretty sex positive. I, I think I'm very sex positive. So I tend not to like read addictions into things. Mm-hmm. And there are times that people have presented on the surface as a, oh, this is just a mismatch of sexual desire. So I have one particular, is it okay if, me go, if I go yeah, into a case absolutely. study now? Yeah. So that one couple that presented where there was a discrepancy in desire, the woman had a couple of small kids. She wasn't into sex. He was into sex a lot more. And I'm like, oh, this is simple, right? This is this happens when people when women are in long term relationships, especially when their maternal care systems are cock blocking lust, as I've written about in my book. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like looked at it in that way. Right. And when I was listening a little bit more deeply. And I was listening to her experience as well as his. So they were having sex a lot, a couple of times a day. Wow. And he seemed to be dissatisfied, like it was never enough. And I'm kind of thinking, okay. And then it got even more complicated because she had a substance abuse history. And so he was, it was a lot, I won't get into too many. I don't want to identify them with too many details, but I will say this is very common in a way what happens is something gets revealed in time like his infidelity okay so here he's having sex with her a couple of times a day and she finds that he is texting with sex workers from when he's traveling and then I took a step back and I listened more deeply and there were a lot of other issues going on with him a lot of childhood trauma, a lot of self-medication. So it became very clear that this was not a simple case of a desired disorder, desire discrepancy issue. This was a real problem. This, he was having, his behavior was so compulsive. He put his marriage at risk. He put his wife's mental health at risk, you know, with, so like we have to listen and we have to Take the time Mm -hmm. to dig in without judgment. You know, like I was kind of, you know, thinking, oh, this is just an everyday case of something that's the desired discrepancy. 
and there was a lot going on. And actually it's turning out very well because they're both working on themselves Mm -hmm. and they're both handling some of these uh, issues that are, that they were using the substances or the sex to regulate. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of the having to listen. And now some therapists like, oh, you can have sex a lot of times in the day and still want sex and it's not a problem. And you have to listen even more deeply mm-hmm. yeah. to see, is it a problem? If he's risking his marriage because his wife was very upset and, you know, going out and being compulsive and making bad decisions, you have to take the step back mm-hmm. and say, mm, there's something going on here. Yeah. Time for a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors who just so happens to be our absolute favorite lube, UberLube. UberLube is a luxurious silicone lubricant and it enhances intimacy. It's there when you want it and it blends in when you're done with it. So you have control over that lube. It's long lasting and leaves the skin extra velvety. And honestly, all I want it all over my body. Thousands of doctors in the U.S. are recommending UberLube to their patients. It's body-friendly, less likely to change the pH, and it has vitamin E, so it feels extra moisturizing. There's a reason why we've been a fan of UberLube for years. There's no flavor or scent. It's even great for oral sex, everyone. But it's not just great for sex. You can use it for massage, your hair. You can prevent chafing. It even brings out the colors of your beautiful tattoos. And the bottle is absolutely gorgeous. It looks more like a cosmetic, so you can leave it anywhere shamelessly for easy access. Just go to uberlube.com and use the discount code SHAMELESS10 to get 10% off and free shipping. Again, that's U-B-E-R-L-U-B-E.com right now with code SHAMELESS10 for 10% off and free shipping. This podcast is also brought to you by OMGS.com. Join over 1 million people who are experiencing more pleasure with OMGS. They take scientific research of thousands of vulva owners showing techniques to pleasure that pussy. They turn this research into tasteful educational short videos, animated modules, and infographics. OMGS is for anyone who wants to learn about vulva pleasure or take it to the next level. Want to take your orgasms from good to out of this world? Then check out OMGS. Or if you're a vulva lover and want to up your pussy pleasuring skills, then you need to check out OMGS. I've personally been recommending OMGS to my clients for years, and it's completely changed their lives. They have three seasons, external pleasure, internal pleasure, and sex toys. It's not a subscription service, and you don't need to download a thing. OMGS also makes a fabulous gift, and your purchase supports more pleasure research. So just go to omgs.com shameless to get 10% off right now. Again, that's omgs.com shameless to receive 10% off unlimited access towards enhancing your pleasure power. The link is in the episode's description. I think that's so yeah. that's such a helpful thank you for sharing that like um, yeah. case study that a lot of people can resonate with even if it's not something they've experienced but a lot of people have experienced it in other ways and I shared this so the episode we did with Gigi Ingle was I think it was the first time I I shared that I was that was it that episode or was it one no, before that it was a something was right fun. before that that I shared that I have had what I will call a, like a heavy addiction I think with it was with Dr. Uh, Kat 
Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're talking about like psychedelics and stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyways, and I didn't share what it is and I don't need to share what the substance is and I'm not going to do that. That was very clear. It was a chemical thing. Like I was having withdrawal symptoms. It was it was really affecting my, if I were to try to stop, I couldn't stop. I had the mind, body, everything, every part of me was very hooked on this thing. But I've also had moments in life so that that I've had that experience, right? And I'm, you know, grateful for coming out of that. Thank God, you know, and also grateful for having that because it informed me a lot about like, I used to have the sort of like, I don't have an addictive personality. Well, look at me. But actually, I'm capable of all kinds of things. But I've also had experiences, I think it was my early 20s, where I thought I was addicted to porn. And How I pointed to me. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why I did that. I don't. Yeah, I'm not I sure. Like, no. I, anyways, I'm pointed to her for that for no reason. I didn't even know her during this time, or maybe I did. But anyways, it's her fault. But <laughs> I was addicted to porn. You're healed April. now. You're healed. Yeah. But it was so every night. It was like I I thought I needed to watch porn to it, it. Like I had this deep desire to watch it every night. I thought I needed to watch it to have an orgasm. And I was like, am I addicted to my vibrator or porn or both? And like, is this becoming a problem? And then I had some life circumstances that just pulled me away from all of that. And it just was like, oh, it just kind of naturally worked its way through my system. But it felt it, it felt like it wasn't, my, you know, necessarily my body having the creepy crawlies must watch the porn, which is what people think about with addiction, right? Or like withdrawal symptoms if I didn't. And I wasn't watching it 20 times a day. But I felt like it was very hard to move away from my mind being hooked on the thing. I also, in my late teenage years, had what I'll call a mental addiction to smoking the the weeds, the marijuanas at night before going to sleep because I thought that I couldn't sleep without it. But my body was fine. It was just my mind could not move away from it. And I think that like for me, having all these variations of experiences, knowing what it feels like my body, mind and spirit are fully hooked on something and or when it's just my mind. Neither of them are easy to move away from. And they both felt like addi- they all felt like addictions well, to me. Right. And that's, and that's my angle's yeah. point was on our show, too, was that you're not physically dependent. You will not die if you do not have it. It's like move that's your mind you, away right. from its like, is, hook. Still may make up may make a neuroscience point. Here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So when it comes to dependence, addiction and withdrawal, they're two separate independent processes in the brain. So you don't have to experience withdrawal to be addicted to something. So, you know, there are some things that you will, you know, nicotine people feel withdrawal very, very strongly in their bodies. The looking at really, I think the issue that makes it cross the line is that, is it hijacking you in a way that compromises your relational, social balanced health functioning? Is it taking away from your life and becoming something that you're depending on that isn't working very well? Because if it was, you know, think about it. If drugs worked well, you'd only have to do a little bit of them. People want more, more, more. That's one of the signs of addictive processes is that it may not be physically that you want more because it's addictive in in terms of withdrawal. But people want, they're not satisfied. The difference between satisfying sex is you have sex, you feel satisfied, you feel warm and fuzzy, you feel relaxed, and that the reward circuitry is working so that you have some balance and well-being. This, what really, I think, draws the line between something being you know, uh, a problem and not is, is this driving you in a way that is 
persistent, that you are really hijacked by it? And is it getting in the way of other things in your life? Mm -hmm. You know, I like to think about BDSM practitioners because we can learn a lot from them. Peggy Kleinpatz and Charles Moser are people who are researchers about these sort of things. And Peggy wrote a beautiful paper, Lessons from Extraordinary Lovers. So rather than pathologize people who do BDSM, those kind of practices, what they say, is it safe? Is it sane? Is it consensual? So, you know, when you think about it, is it balanced in your life? Is it bringing you joy? Is it bringing you towards your relationship? Is it enhancing your functioning? Or is it stealing from you? Are you using it to regulate your emotions instead of learning to what people really need to learn to? And and this is true of grief, which, you know, we were talking a little bit about that before the show. It's true of all sorts of uh, people grappling with dependencies, addictions. We need to learn how to sit with our feelings and not rush (laughs) and not rush in to medicate them, to change them, to make them go away. Yes. Well, a hundred percent. One thing that I, I love that you said that because I was just pondering this thing that I have called into my life. And it's like a mantra almost because, and and I'm wanting to share because it's, it came from Jim Morrison of the doors, like talking about, you know, I use drugs to expand my mind, not to escape my mind. And he was talking about drugs in particular. And it was in, in Oliver Stone and one of his bandmates said that to him, but he was always living that life borderline with addiction and then yes, being, being addicted to drugs um, and alcohol specifically, mostly alcohol. But I'm bringing that up because I've brought that into my life when I'm doing things. I'm like, April, am I doing this like a lot? Am I, am I trying to escape or am I expanding my experience? And I think that is profound to me. And I felt com- compelled to share that because I do think it's a simplified way of describing your experience with what you are doing. And if it's your partner doing that, you know, maybe that's a question that you could ask them. Hey, are you escaping something? Are you expanding something? Mm. And what's your, what's your ultimate objective with this? And maybe look into that. That's a great segue. Should we talk about how to talk to our partner? Yeah. Okay. So if you're sitting with these concerns that you might be having about yourself, you still might want to talk to your partner about it. That's another kind of conversation. If your concerns are about your partner, that's going to be pretty potentially charged to have a conversation. So what I would coach people to do, and I and I actually have some resources on my website, you know, about active listening and how to talk with partners about challenging things. The first thing that you need to do is be clear for yourself. Where's your come from with this? Is this pushing on your buttons because of your issues? Or is this truly something that after sitting with and listening into the criteria and evaluating how you see this impacting your partner and impacting you and your partner, is this something that an issue that you need to raise with the partner? So from there, I would suggest that you would say something to the effect to your partner. Look, there's something that that I think might be challenging that I'd like to talk to you about sex. Do you have the space to talk about it now? So you need to frame it 
give them the ability to sort of recognize that there's something potentially charged and also to recognize that they're in the space or not to be able to listen. So this is the kind of coaching I give couples about communicating in general, which if you work on your general communication, it becomes a lot easier to navigate some of the charge stuff about whatever it is. If your partner says, okay, you know, I have space, then ask your partner if you can simply, if the partner can simply listen to you and recognize that this is your concern and stay with the I statements. Like I am worried about this when I see that, I'm uncomfortable about this, What it, and, and stay with your experience of, in terms of what creates your concern. And come from a place of concern and caring. Versus the you. Let's let's be real. But I feel not you are doing this or you are doing that. Right. Because that's easy to do. And people do it often. People no do one likes to hear and someone time. else tell them who they are, who yeah. they should be. Or and how you feel you. like this. I know you feel like this or you believe you're that. doing like, this because. Yes. So right. I just wanted to so highlight that. That's so important. And to really make it that it's your concern. And that you, because you want to be intimate with your partner, you want to share this and that you want to give them the opportunity after they listen to you, if they want to ponder it, if they want to respond to you, that you're open to having another conversation where you're just going to listen to the partner. So it's really challenging for people to stay calm and non-judgmental, you know, because we feel very much at effective partners. That's what, what, what a relationship is. And if it doesn't go so well, if the partner gets defensive, don't make it a federal case. Don't say, oh, see, he's got a problem or, oh, see, mm. she's got a problem. Mm-hmm. Recognize that. Talking about these kinds of issues can be challenging under the best of circumstances. So you can say to your partner, if they're like getting defensive or they seem angry or they're upset, say, look, it's okay that, you know, it's all right if you don't want to have that conversation now. I'm glad we brought up the issue. And like, let's let's take a break from this. Maybe we can come back to it later or tomorrow or something like that. You don't want to judge them for having challenges listening to something because, you know, getting confronted with stuff that might be charged for them is not easy. You know what I mean? So you need to give people time to process so that they can sit with it, you know, and and whatever and offer the opportunity for the follow up conversation. Mm -hmm. So let's say your partner thinks that you're completely off the wall and there's no reason why you should be concerned at all, then what you need to do is kind of do some processing yourself, talk to somebody. And it might be good to talk to a sex therapist. Like a talk Talk to to, man. Or you give me a, you go to my website and I give you a free consult just to be able to feel your way a little bit more deeply. What's this about? You know, where is your triggers about it? And, and If at the end of the day, you're convinced that there is an issue that really needs to be addressed, then you're going to need to make a bid for connection with the partner. Like, you know, I know we talked about it. You didn't agree with me. Is there, you know, can we come back to this? Because you know what? I'm I'm concerned, you know, it feels like, yeah, I'm concerned is something that that um, 
that land lands for me. Like when people are like, you have a problem, right? Like then they're like, defense. You know, who, yeah. defense. Is anyone really going to be like, yeah, you're right. I totally do. You yeah. know, so instead. So it's like, I'm concerned. And you can like, I mean, you can I love you and I'm concerned. I love you. And I'm concerned. Yeah. yeah I'm, and, I'm worried. I, I love yeah. you. I care about you. I'm worried about your I love you so much. I yeah. want you to be your best self. Right. Yeah. And maybe this is my issue. You don't even have to be so intent that you're going to make a case. Like it's a confrontation, like an intervention. Maybe I'm trying to, what you want to do is create a dialogue and interchange. You want to create some intimacy where the partner and you get to feel your way more deeply into this, to listen to yourselves, to listen to each other and think of this as a process. This is not a one-off. This is something that you touch and maybe you'll come back to and you may come back to again. Now, let's say the partner goes, okay, I think there's something going on here. I think you have, you know, a valid concern. So in terms of if your partner is acknowledging that they have some concern about it, what you can do is you're not their therapist, but you can listen a little bit more deeply. And then you can talk about how you guys would like to go about addressing it. Does the partner want support? Do you want to you know, look together for resources? Does a partner want to kind of work on this a little bit, like kind of stewing it and kind of sitting a little bit longer to feel their way through it? I think what we're lacking in general as a culture right now is patience. Mm. Everybody's so hot tempered and so like short attention span theater that the, and, you know, honestly, having this conversation with a partner is an amazing opportunity to go deeper. Mm -hmm. into really listening and connection, hearing yourself, hearing them, you know, so this is a wonderful opportunity. And I would yeah. add to that too, that the, the opportunity piece, like with, with what you're saying, you know, I know it's, it's, it's shitty when we have challenges within ourselves or within relationships and we're like, Oh fuck, how did I get here? Or like my life is a mess or I've been hurting myself or the people I love. And also like you're saying, you know, if, if people are willing to actually do the work around it, it actually can be a really interesting version of a blessing to create more closeness, more feelings of safety or honesty, or we're like, we're in this together. I mean, there's a lot right. of opportunity there. So I've seen this with couples when they identify, when they kind of get the relief of being able to be transparent with each other about stuff that actually on some level they have been concerned about that, you know, again, remember that one of the sort of features of when something is a sexually compulsive behavior is that it's not very satisfying. It doesn't feel good. And it's not like it's just about shame. There are people who feel shame because of their religious or moral stuff. This pleasure is not registering properly, most likely because of, as I said before, something that is amiss with their reward circuitry something is out of whack for them. And what happens is that being able to navigate this and to be able to kind of do the healing, you know, to be able to let go of uh, the habit and sit in the feeling. I mean, that's what people do in recovery, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, so there is a way to heal these, make new neural pathways, right? Because I, I know the answer, but I just want to give people 
out there that are that are listening that are like, wait a second, I have to sit with this, but then what? <laughs> I have to sit with this, and then what do I do? And then after that, what do I do? Right? And it this is a continuation, and I do want you to speak to that because there is hope. I know that there is for everyone that suffers from any kind of compulsion or disorder or addiction. So that's a great point, April, because addiction is learning on bad. It's learning. It's not a disease that's like going to be, you know, you got a cure. It's learning gone bad. And you can actually train yourself with a little help from some coaching or a little help from some new habits to find alternate ways to be able to address those negative emotions, to be able to tolerate the feelings. And very often what happens is people actually, when they start tolerating the negative feelings, you're never going to believe what happens. They start feeling more of the positive feelings. Whoa! <laughs> so I've seen this in so many cases where somebody has been compulsive about some sort of substance or sex, that is they go through the pain of their feelings. And often it can take them back to like childhood shit, you know, stuff that kind of interfered with their learning how to regulate different ways that they feel their feelings and they go, oh, wait a second. All of a sudden, wow, I'm just recognizing there's so much I haven't been able to feel. So by short circuiting the ability to sit with the negative emotional experiences, the pain, the grief, the sadness, the fear, the rage, then what happens is that they learn they can actually tolerate feelings and the emotional sort of possibilities of being able to feel the positive feelings get dialed up. Mm -hmm. And a lot of time, there's a lot of grief in these habits where people are, you know, sort of treating grief, loss, emotional pain, in addition to some predisposition. And you know what I think we really need to talk about is how stress affects the brain. Yes, I think that's and a good how, idea. And how stress predisposes people to the learning gone bad. Mm -hmm. And this is my theory about the proliferation of these kind of problems with affect regulation in the college students where they have so much anxiety, they have so much just suicidality. It's like off the charts. And then now there are some reports of more compulsive uh, sexual behaviors. So it's like when people are stressed, the mechanisms of being able to feel the positive emotions get hijacked. So having perpetual levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone that's meant to mobilize your ability to respond to something, what it does, it hijacks the dopamine, which is the feel-good neurotransmitter, the slutty neurotransmitter, sex, drugs, rock and roll, approach this, you know, avoid that, hijacks that, turns it into more stress hormones. And guess what? You've got a really anxious brain. You've got a brain that's going to be more fear reactive. You've got a brain that's going to be more panicky. You've got a, peer, a brain that's going to be more hot tempered. In my book, I talked about those imbalances and how it affects our sexuality, but it affects a whole lot more mood, which is anything. I just published a paper that talks about these theories, affective neuroscience theory, and how this needs to be part of research 
in sexual medicine and clinical practice, that we need to understand how these core emotions and dopamine is part of the seeking system. When we hijack that to use it, spend it like on social media instead of in interactions, our learning is going to get screwed up. Dopamine is a learning chemical. Mm-hmm. Supposed to get our attention on what feels good and is good for us mm-hmm. or what we need to avoid and it's gotten hijacked. This is all just like so awesome and insightful. And um, and I know we have to wrap up soon, but I have a, a really weird question. I don't know if you have the answer to it. Do animals like other so non-human creatures like do, does a lion like mammals? Yeah, mammals like or or jellyfish, but like yeah, mammals say mammal. Do they experience addiction? Do they have do you know do you know anything about Fuck this? Yeah, dude. My dog's addicted to a few things like a ball. <laughs> well, we know that mammals have the same circuitry in the basement of their brains. And if you implant these electrodes that stimulate the areas that release dopamine. They'll push and push and push and push until they drop over dead. Oh, like the, I heard the, about the rat study. There was like the rats, exactly. right? Like, yes. and they, but, yeah. but they were living in a shitty environment. So they're unhappy, a small confined environment. And so they had the little beaker thing or whatever, the feeder with cocaine, liquid cocaine. Right. And, and they would hit it over and over again. But when they were living in a happy environment where all this space and rat life was lovely, they were not killing themselves on the cocaine. So that's a great that's example. That's <laughs> cocaine. Yeah. But when you put an electrode right into those hedonic hotspots, it doesn't even matter their environment. They're going to press that bar until they fall because it's just like mainline right into the, the pleasure center. Like food. Like if they were like, we're in a happy environment, we want food. They're going to keep eating the food. Well, they'll eat the food till they're satisfied. But they're, what I'm trying to highlight is that When it comes to the brain, there are places in the brain when you stimulate that, that will hijack normal behaviors Uh, to the point where it's not going to be mediated by having a good environment. The cocaine studies, if the animals weren't a good environment, guess what? They were getting good social joy mm -hmm. and play. Their brains were working more normally. Mm -hmm but you can hijack the brain with electrodes. And it, it's just talking about the circuitry. Is I there. Think, well, that makes sense because if you look at animals in captivity versus animals in the wild, there's a lot of different behaviors that they aspire to, to do and they end up doing, right? There's like more depression and captivity. There's animals that like lash out more at, at each other because there's not like a free free range. I mean, look at like the uh, tilicum and some of the, the, the which SeaWorld, the orca whale that killed his trainer like shamu or something uh, was his name oh, okay. uh the one that i'm speaking to was like this mm-hmm. great big you know um beautiful orca male whale that uh lived in captivity and was totally normal and one day he fucking snapped mm-hmm. at sea world killed his trainer and it was like a whole to-do where people were like animal these animals can't be in captivity because he was depressed his his dorsal fin was um always arched because that's what they do when they're in captivity because they're so depressed because they can't Aww, be in so their sad. free their free space and they are meant to be travelers. They're meant to go hundreds, if not thousands of miles. So I'm so just giving just, an example. That's, of, a, of that's a great example of how environment and our ability to engage in the behaviors that are healthy for us is a big part of having a well-balanced emotional brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we 100%. need to look at, you know, circling back to sex addiction, we should take a step back and look at how is our lives working? Are we so stressed out 
Let's address the fucking stress. Mm-hmm. Let's make good choices about how life can be better quality life that we don't have to. In cases of men that I've treated, they're, they've masturbated so much that their penises bleed. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. people who are raised on porn and don't know how to have sex with another person. I was at all these other case presentations I can come back and talk about. But, you know, mm-hmm. if we need to look at the biggest of pictures, how do we live in a way that is going to promote more well-being mm-hmm. yeah. rather than just keep pushing harder, harder, harder? Like I said, we really need to slow our roll mm-hmm. yeah. oh, and be do. there now and be present. I love that. I love that. And no one out there is hopefully living anywhere under duress, right? I hope not. I know there are cases, but I just want to say, unlike Tilikum, who was forced into this environment, we all can can actually, we have the freedom. At least I know that a lot of us do. We, we kind of bind ourselves with these chains that are self-created a lot of times where we think we're bound to something because we have to. We have to keep up with the Joneses. We have to do this thing. I have to go to provide for my family or I have to go to this thing because I need to make myself I don't know. I, I there's I mean I'm there's millions if not trillions of cases of mm-hmm. of what people have to do. Yeah. So I'm just I, saying like it, we have to be in the now and that isn't a solution that maybe is easy to swallow for some people because it took me a long fucking time and still I struggle with being in the moment and learning that I have the power within mm-hmm. myself to heal the things that that I want to heal, that I think are are an issue for my life, that do create ruptures or fractures in my relationships and uh, within my occupational life. So, and again, I'm just another human. Amy is too. We, we're just two humans, right? We're with Dr. Nan, who is a PhD. She's so, so well rehearsed in this. And you still struggle, Dr. Nan. You, you say too, with anxiety and things, you're like, dude, this is sometimes it's, it's lineal. It's in mm-hmm. my fucking DNA sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to do, but I work on it. You know what? I'll share one thing when we wrap up is I think the most transformational thing I've learned that I can be both anxious in the moment and I can also hold space to be more present and more joyful. I am not looking for me to eradicate the anxiety. I see the anxiety as information. And I talk about this, all of our emotions, you know, fear, rage, panic, grief, All of that gives us information and we can, it's a both and world. It's not like no sex addiction, sex addiction. We can have challenges and have difficult feelings and we can, by accepting more and more that we have them and and also getting a lot of support. When we were going through a rough time, in the past couple of months, both my parents died. My mom was so crazy. And I've also two new grandchildren born. And I've taken a lot of sessions with my dear husband, Sean. He's listened to me and I've listened to him. We hold the space, which brings us back to the great conversation with the people who might have concerns about themselves or their partners. It's such an opportunity to really connect and to hold space for each other. That's what is ultimately going to decrease our stress and improve the quality of our lives is these really supportive relationships. Yeah. Yes. So seek support everyone, because even now, even if you don't have the economic means at this point to get a good therapist, there are different tools and there are people that will 
be able to help you if you have the capacity to reach out. You're only as good as the support that's around you, right? You can only be as good as those that are supporting you. And, and sometimes friends can, and sometimes family can, but professional help from an uninterested third party is something that has changed my life. And when I don't have that for a while, I know that I feel that. So reach out to someone like Dr. Nan and you give a free consult and you have books that cost nearly nothing in the grand scheme of things, right? It's like spend $30 on a book, y'all spend that or like get the audible. It's like, it, it's just just part of the journey to help yourself. If you can read English and you want to help, like have that, and then you can slowly read it and learn about what's happening. And Why Good Sex Matters is such a great book. And Thank it's been you. out for quite some time. It's phenomenal. And I know you want to say hey, something. I'm so sorry. One, one last one last thing. One of the things that we haven't talked about, which is so foundational, is that one of the best things that you can learn to calm your nervous system is how to harness attention on your breath. And just make your exhalation a little bit longer than your inhale. On my website, I have free videos people can go to about breath training, how to be able to use the energy locks, which are the bells and whistles of some yoga stuff, and also how to do active listening, how to hold that space. Free stuff. That's free. That's free. Okay. So Dr. Nan, we love you so much. Can you tell people how to find you, your website, how to work with you if you're taking new clients? I know you're super busy, but especially congrats on your new brand. Thank you. Yes. I'm what I work with people short term. So this is not very long. I do coaching. So like some people, it's four to six sessions. They read my book. They learn about how the core emotions work. And then what I do is help them create tools and a plan, bottom up, working with the breath to calm the nervous system, to get into that receptive, resourceful place, and then give themselves new directions about the decisions and the directions they want to go. And then they can have free coaching by text for me for life if they work with me, even for just a session or two. That is really, really cool. Ask Dr. Nan. And that's spelled out doctor. You can get my book. You can follow me on. I do stuff on Instagram. Not not as much as I would like to. I will be doing more stuff. And I have a YouTube channel that I'll be posting a lot more stuff. So do the breath tools. Reach out. I will make sure that I get space for any of your listeners who want to speak with me. Dr. Nan's the best. We really are. We love you so much. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's askdrnan.com and doctor is spelled out, everyone. So you can uh check Dr. Nan's workout. She is in our book so many times. You can get her book. She's in the process of writing another book, and she's been doing this for a long time. And we just always, always value uh, you being on the show and what you provide. And I th- hope that everyone out there, if you did have any feelings about the the previous show that sort of triggered and brought up this this topic. Hopefully you can get some resolve and feel that we are honoring you because we do value all of the humans out there listening and we value your opinion. We value your journey. We value your experience. And we are not here to tell you what you should or should not do, but we want you to know that you have support and you have that beautiful body and mind. And thank you for being part of the shameless sex revolution because you really are. And yeah. Consider me that, family. You are. You're like, you're, I, love I mean, you're our Dr. Nan. Yeah. I mean, you're like a mother, a sister, an auntie. Um, you're not a grandma to me. I'm sorry. Okay. You just had our fifth grandbaby. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so, that's wonderful. I'm so happy for you're you. You're too young to Thank be you a grandmother. So much. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. You know, it's a beautiful thing. It's got me in touch with my lust for life and my joy and feeling very young around the kids. Yep. So keep me in the loop and have a wonderful, wonderful time. The work that you're doing is stellar. Thank you. Thank you. That means to all of you out there too, all the work you're doing is stellar. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Rate us on iTunes if you haven't done so. It just helps more people find folks like Dr. Nan. This is a free resource for you. We value you. There's also Spotify. You can rate us. And uh, we love each and every one of you. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Ciao for now. Want to learn more? Go to shamelesssex.com. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code shamelesssex at purepleasureshop.com.